Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Knowles Quality Control, presented by Tomahawk Nation. I'm your host, Ben Myers, and today I'm very happy to be joined by the editor-in-chief of the Tomahawk Nation, Perry Kosadekis. Uh, we'll be going through FSU's entire offensive depth chart today. Our staff released this article about 10 days ago now, going through quarterback position, running back, skill position guys, including the offensive line as well. We'll be breaking all that down today. But first of all, Perry, welcome on the show, man. How are you doing? Dude, great because you nailed that pronunciation. There was no warm-up <laughs> before the show. You didn't even ask. You went straight into it. So I am just absolutely honored. Your boy was prepared today. And <laughs> in fact, yesterday I was preparing the intro, you know, trying to get all of uh, our topics sorted out. And one of the very first things I did was right out Perry Casadakis, including <laughs> the pronunciation in parentheses. So just for everyone knows, you're dealing with a real professional here today. Uh, but I do want to quickly just dive into the news that we've gotten recently. There's a new Florida State Seminole. Uh, Dimitri Emmanuel, Emmanuel is the newest Seminole. He transferred about a few days ago. Now he's a former University of Charlotte player. He has one year left of eligibility. This is a player who started from 2019 to 2021, over 1,500 snaps during that time, you know, starting at left tackle, right tackle, and left guard. Uh, this is a player who also has played under Alex Atkins before. So just, Perry, what were your first thoughts when you heard that this transfer was official? I, I know it was rumored for a long time, and we all kind of assumed, you know, this is Alex Atkins' guy. He's going to get his guy. Um you know, but what'd you think when you finally heard that he was able to land him? 
I thought it was nice to see something that was like projected to happen actually happen because as you mentioned, it had been not a like extended recruitment, but as soon as he entered the portal, it was a natural association. Atkins was there as the OCO line coach. He is now OCO line coach. Why not? It is, in my opinion, a pretty good pickup because all conference player, whenever you even at a lower level like Charlotte, if you can add like the best of your best from that conference. It's always a good position. We were talking a little bit by the show before the show. Will he be able to immediately step in and start and contribute? It's a little bit difficult as a transfer coming in summer slash fall rather than spring to get a little bit more acclimated, to get used to the physicality, to the scheme, et cetera, et cetera. But he's a good body. He's got what it takes. There's actually a great triple option breakdown on Tomahawk Nation. Breaking there down like his film. Yeah, there it is. We got a plug. But it's a it's a good pickup. And ideally, he is somebody who is raising your floor by the time that um, Duquesne runs around. Yeah, and I think that, you know, what you said right there at the end, that, that to me is a really key part of this for the Seminoles next year, especially, you know, this is a player with only one year of eligibility. It's not like a, a Bless Harris who we saw come in earlier, a guy who's going to be here for multiple years who even if he doesn't get that time right away, we're going to see his development play out. You know, for, for Emmanuel, um, he can absolutely raise the floor of this offensive line. And I remember an article I wrote about almost three, four weeks ago now about the running game, how injured the offensive line was last year, just how much they had to deal with. You know, imagine being able to insert Dimitri Emmanuel into, into last year's roster, having him at the beginning of 2021. That, that would have paid off in dividends for this team. And, and, you know, for as much bad luck as they had last season, uh, just bringing in that kind of player who, you know, I don't think you're going to be as unlucky as you were in 2022. But at the same time, we know how injured this team has been along the offensive line. It's not like they have all these players who have all this long starting experience for for full seasons. You know, a lot of the guys, even including Dylan Gibbons, who is probably the most uh, dependable offensive lineman for this team, he was hurt last year as well. I, I mean, I remember, I think it's the first six games they played. They only had the same starting offensive line from one game to the next in one week. So I, when you talk about that kind of instability, bringing in Dimitri Emmanuel, um, it's going to be huge for raising the floor of this team, like you said. And I think, you know, and this is just projecting, and I'm sure we're going to be interviewing him tomorrow. We might hear from Mike Norvell tomorrow a little bit about this. We'll see how that goes. But, it, you know, you look at what Caden Lyles has been doing, trying to adjust to this system, you know, br- you know, bringing in new verbiage, uh, a new scheme. Uh, just that kind of big adjustment is so hard. So I think for a guy – you know, who's coming from an Alex Atkins system, even though he hasn't been playing under Alex Atkins for the last few years, I assume it's going to be an easier transition for him. But at the minimum, Perry, if this guy doesn't start right away, he's the kind of guy that if you do have an injury, you know, you don't have to go into that pool of young offensive linemen that you want to protect right now. I mean, think about all the young guys like uh, Estes, right? Or Estes is one of the backups right now who I think could get serious playing time. And if you look at what he was doing when Dylan Gibbons wasn't playing in spring because he's a veteran, he needs his time off, he needs to get healthy, right? 
uh, they would have Estes come in and be that next starting guy. That's who the next man up was. And we'll certainly get into that more into the offensive depth chart. But with Emmanuel specifically, a guy who has starting experience at left guard, and really he does have more of a guard body than he does a tackle body. This is a guy who played tackle out of necessity for Charlotte, right? Uh, He will absolutely raise the floor for this team. And I I think for Alex Atkins, you know, this just shows what kind of recruiter he is. We've seen all the players he's been able to bring in uh, who are young guys who he's established relationships in through high school. We saw how close he was to potentially landing Amarius Mims, who, you know, although he didn't land him, Florida State Seminoles were the first team to get in the door for uh, for him. So The only team. <laughs> the only, the only team. team. Yeah, yeah the, the great <laughs> reminder. But um, for, the, for this kid, you know, he's not going to – it's not going to be an Amarius Mims level transfer, obviously. that You're just not going to be getting that at this part of the transfer cycle. Um, But to get a player who can start quality snaps for you and who has a lot of experience, um, I think this is one of the bigger transfers they've had really since spring practice even started. I I think you look at the transfer period that we've seen. Obviously, you know, you bring in guys like Jared Verse, Trey Benson, Micah Pittman. Those are some big names. But Dimitri Emmanuel could be one of those guys you're six, seven, eight games into the season – and you're down a starting offensive lineman, he comes in handy, and he comes up huge for them. And that's kind of the projection I have for him for 2022. No, I think the major thing that you touched on is the fact that he has versatility. Like, he is a guard body. He is more naturally suited for that position. But we've seen offensive linemen go down across the board. It doesn't matter. It's not position-specific. There is no targeted, oh, the tackles are gone. And we've seen Alex Atkins train these offensive linemen to cross-train and to be ready to step up in any of these positions because of, like you mentioned, that depth issue. There's just not enough bodies to be too deep average. But now at this point, I think we're going to dive into the specifics, but I think you have like a pretty comfortable too deep at this point where it doesn't significantly fall off depending on who you rotate out. Well, and I think, you know, you mentioned that versatility, too. That's where that versatility comes in handy in that second wave of guys. You want to talk about guys like, you know, Lloyd Willis, Rod Orr. Uh, now you have Dimitri Manuel. Even Caden Lyles right now is our projected backup starting center. Um, a lot of those guys have experience at different spots. You mentioned Emmanuel's versatility, but all of these players have lots of versatility. In a guy like Emmanuel, he started at every single position besides center. At Charlotte. So this is a guy who you can play at any position along the offensive line. And I mean, you're absolutely right. Alex Atkins just values that versatility more than maybe a lot of other coaches do. And, and he's just done a really great job of bringing in guys like, like Bless Harris, for example, a guy who they're going to be playing at right tackle, who we'll see him, I think, exclusively at right tackle this season. But he's also someone that if they had a Robert Scott go down at left tackle, He's probably that next guy up. And then you maybe you swing in Dimitri Emmanuel. Maybe you bring, you know, Darius Washington back out at, to tackle. Uh, there are some interesting things you can do along this offensive line. And bringing in this kind of piece for them just allows them to play with that more. And when they do have bad luck in the future, because it's going to come at some point, like we've seen with this team, uh, 
they'll be able to be better prepared for it and have a better idea of where they can go for that player. Uh, so I, I think this is as good as a signing as you can get kind of in this transfer period that you're in right now. You're not going to be getting the guys that the USC's and the Texas's are going to be getting right now. Like we saw like the Litnikoff winners. Those aren't the type of players you're going to be landing right now coming off a of five and seven season. So to get a quality guy who has experience starting at almost every single position and he probably has some level of comfortability with, if not the scheme, the coaching staff already. Um, it's just a huge plus for the Seminoles. And, you know, while the Amarius Mims letdown may have may have really hurt Seminole fans, this is the type of move that, you know, anyway, October, November, Seminole fans are going to be talking a lot about this guy. I, I, I have a feeling. And they're going to be talking a lot about, you know, how important it was for this team to get him. So, uh, yeah. Great, good on Alex Atkins and Perry. This just shows Alex Atkins is he he's a master of his craft, man. Not only is he great with players, and that's why players love this guy. Like they know exactly what they're getting from Alex Atkins. He's very blunt. He's very direct. He's very forward, and these guys really appreciate that. So when you go into the whole recruiting process, um, to have that kind of guy who. Man, he just is such a presence on the football field. And he's going to be not only your position coach, but the coordinator. Um, It's paying off right now. And we're seeing the benefits of having Alex Atkins um, just this spring alone. I mean, look at all the young guys they've been able to bring in as well. Uh, This team has been able to just reload the offensive line in a way that I don't think many people expected they would. And it has come a little bit from the high school recruiting but the transfer portal recruiting and him being able to convince established athletes because there's a different like when you're 17 years old it's easy to get like lost in like oh the hype like oh he's very loud oh he's very exciting he's fun <laughs> if you're a 22 year old and your goal is to make it to the nfl and you come in you're not like you don't need to get the flashy stuff you don't need to like be lied to or like hyped up you just want to know that the work is going to get done. And the fact that he has brought in athletes like that, like Dylan Gibbons, who is about the work, like his number one thing is like, I'm going to, I'm going to do the work that like it all vibes with that. And I, no offense to Kenny Dillingham because he did his thing. This isn't even, I shouldn't even say no offense. Cause now it just seems mean, but like Alex Atkins personality and culture, like instilling itself in that offensive identity is going to be amazing to see I don't know if the dividends are there immediately, but his personality is infectious. His work ethic is infectious. His standard is in line with what Mike Norvell wants from his team, which is the whole reason why Alex Atkins left an offensive coordinator position just to come be a position coach because he knew what was possible. He knew that his vision, his goals, whatever ideals aligned with what the program was trying to get done. And so seeing that in 2022 and seeing him like full force, put himself into that offense is going to be exciting. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, more than just this offense, just talking about, you know, changing the the way this locker room thinks, changing the culture of this team. Alex Atkins gets as much credit as anyone, um, in my opinion, when, you know, people are going to talk about just how many of these players believe in what they're doing now at Florida State. Um, having that kind of culture guy with Alex Atkins, to me, that's just beyond the field. Uh, the, the, the leadership he brings, uh, the culture that they're going to be able to establish, 
that's the kind of thing that's going to raise this program to the next level. And that's why, like, you're not going to find a single media member or anyone who's attended any of these practices going to badmouth Alex Atkins in any ways. In fact, I think he's become a favorite of yeah. the media after this. I know I certainly have a fond spot uh, for him. And seeing him at practice, like, I got to be honest, if I was a football player, that's the kind of guy I would want to play for. So, uh, yeah, just great things by Alex Atkins. Good for him going and getting his guy. Um, and we're going to dive fully into the offensive depth chart now because we've been talking about a transfer for quite a little bit now and he'll certainly make his impact but we're going to be talking a lot more about this quarterback room this running back room this wide receiver room uh how the offensive line is going to shake out but first things first we do have to start at the most important position with jordan travis um let me ask you this. When you're looking at this depth chart, you see Jordan Travis, QB1. Uh, what kind of stands out to you about this room as we're looking at it right now? This is kind of a fascinating room, let's call it, last year. Uh, it, it was a weird room last year. But, you know, for Mike Norvell, having your established quarterback, having a clear order of commands, um, just how, how do you think that's going to help Mike Norvell, and then how do you think that's going to help Jordan Travis? Here is Jordan Travis. He's stoked. He's all alone. There is so much freedom that comes with knowing that you're QB1, knowing that every mistake you make in practice is not like a detriment to your potential starting time. But then here is that drop-off from QB1 to QB2. That's the thing that stick out for me. Like, Tate Rotomaker, he had a good spring, but he had a good yeah. spring last year. He looks the part in practice because he's a good practice player. He knows his fundamentals. He has the tools to look like a quarterback, but we've seen when the lights come on, something is a little bit frayed. Is that step forward taken? Like, it could be. The kid only has played in three games, give or take, not even, like only starting one and getting yanked within five plays of that one. But just leaning on Travis there, him getting the chance to be QB1, to establish himself as leader of the team, which we saw the team take to Like, they have taken to him over these last two seasons. Absolutely. Even back with James Blackman, who the team respected a lot, they still love Jordan Travis. They still work. There's an energy change when he is in that huddle. They know that it's go time. They know – what they could potentially pull off when he is on that field. So seeing him unleashed, unhindered by the possibility of a James Black and Mackenzie Milton, Chubba Purdy running up on him and taking that spot has let him play like a little bit more loose, but it's also brought a lot more scrutiny to the small things that sure. he needs to improve on. And I think that he himself has recognized that just what we've seen from practice, what we have heard in interviews. He knows the small things that need to be improved on, but we know that that small things is a difference between him being a top 50 and a top 30 quarterback. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the difference in Florida state winning six games and eight games. Yeah. And I think for Jordan Travis, um, look, there is a certain level of improvement he's going to reach. But I would also say I, I think it's fair that it's – I don't know how we can really judge Jordan Travis. I, I don't know how you can just watch this team, 
watch these receivers not be able to get open one-on-one, not be able to beat man coverage and set up the offense the way it's designed and tell me that you have a 100%, you know, foolproof opinion of Jordan Travis. You know exactly what kind of player he is. I don't think we do know exactly what kind of quarterback he is or what the ceiling of Jordan Travis is. And I, I think for him moving forward, you're right. He knows what he has to improve on. We even saw him. He put out uh, his weight on, I believe it was Instagram or Twitter, right? He put out that he's about 208 pounds now, which he was listed at 201 at the beginning of the spring. And I, I think, you know, the big thing is you talk about that drop off from QB one to QB two, uh, I'm going to be honest, Tate Rotomaker does impress sometimes in practice, but I will put a heavy emphasis on sometimes because when he isn't impressing at practice, to me, he looks like the worst quarterback or the worst decision maker on the field a lot of the time. And there are just plays that he just should not make or go after that he consistently tries to, you know, fit windows where they aren't there, try and throw into double coverage. I mean, I saw him make the worst read I've ever seen in my entire life at spring practice. And I also saw him make one of the best plays I've ever seen at spring practice. I I just think the way that that practice is set up, it allows a guy like Tate Rodemaker, who's not a mobile quarterback versus maybe Jordan Travis to excel, right? Because there's just a certain level of, you know, you know the the defensive lineman can't touch you. You know you're going to be protected. You know you're going to get as much time as you possibly can where in game situations that might not be the case versus a Jordan Travis who gets his running ability essentially taken away from him in, in this setting where he's not able to take full advantage of his skill set. So I, I think Tate Rodemaker does look very good in these practices often. You're absolutely right. He's always one of the top players out of spring. But the reason it stays with spring and it doesn't continue on is because he just hasn't been able to translate that to the football field. And he hasn't been able to be consistent, right? Uh, There's every once in a while at the spring practices, he'd string together, you know, two, three practices in a row. And then you would see him have a drive where you would go, oh, my God, like, like, why is this a scholarship player? Um, And, you know, the real question for me, and we can sort of, move on to the next position group after this parry, but looking at QB two versus QB three, how long do you think it is going to be before AJ Duffy has that opportunity to overtake Tate? Because the way I see it is the spring was the learning experience for AJ Duffy. He wasn't expected to come in and be QB two right away. That's just not what they wanted out of him, at least in that kind of atmosphere. But from here on out, To me, the only advantage that Tate has over AJ is that he has more experience, that he's been in the system longer, that he's probably a little more comfortable with the players he's playing with. So I think the closer and closer that gap gets, you know, if Jordan Travis were to get hurt at any point in the season, I think the staff would feel a lot differently about Jordan Travis getting hurt game 10 than they would game two, because I think a guy like AJ Duffy just going to be on a much different trajectory at that point in the season. So I I expect AJ Duffy to at some point overtake Tate Rotomaker. But I think that's the question that, you know, the staff themselves are probably asking right now when they're looking at this depth chart, when they're looking at how this room is going to work out, 
when will AJ Duffy surpass Tate Rodemaker? Because it's not a matter of if, it's really just a matter of when. My, uh, I don't know if it's a hot take. I think in name, he doesn't pass him this season. Like when you, we get the depth chart every week, it will be QB1, Jordan Travis, QB2, Tate Rodemaker. Just because they're going to keep that red shirt. Like they're not going to like, throw anything off that's going to do it. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to play because I think it's a six-game window. You get to play mm-hmm. six games and still retain that eligibility. There are definitely six games where he's either going to get the chance to get in and get some playing time or, fingers crossed, this is not going to happen. There's going to be a need for a quarterback to come in. And Mike Norvell has not been shy about pulling a QB if he does not feel it's going well. Like, I think we saw him put in Tate, pull out Tate, put in Chubby. Chubba. That <laughs> uh, combined no. Chub, Chubba and You're Duffy. Right. That, yeah, so, like, he is fine. Like, he has no worries putting in somebody if he thinks that they're up to the task. But I, he will remain that number three QB just moving through fall. What's going to be interesting is if Jordan Travis does take that step forward and also AJ takes that step forward, does Jordan come back for another year? Find out next time on those quality analytics. Uh, and that's – you nailed that. I mean, in terms of the question we're going to be asking ourselves at the end of the season, I know I'm not – I mean, you brought it up. Like, like I've thought about this before. I know a lot of media members themselves are probably thinking like, going to happen at the end of the season where do things go because you're going to have potentially two quarterbacks who are going to want that time moving forward so no that's a great question Kate's going to be like what about me like there's going to be a lot you you have the freshman coming in it's going to be a weird situation best case you have your hands full and you have a bunch of talent worst case you're going to have one scholarship QB on roster and it's going to be Geno English Oh man, that is a that is a tough situation, and I, I certainly don't think it's going to come to that. But you're right. I mean, they're they're. I don't want to say they're playing with fire, but there's certainly a, a teeter totter element to this, where you know you go one way too much, one way the other. You lean into one quarterback more than you should. Uh, they could certainly lose some of these players. Um, but I, I do want to talk about a guy who's really just been. I mean, the star of the spring so far, that's Trey Benson. Uh, you want to talk about a player who, man, he proved just how healthy he was in that spring game. And I'm actually going to bring up a clip now from that spring game, a little bit of what we saw from him about two plays back to back. You're going to see this toss first to the outside. He makes the first defender miss, brings it to the outside, to the edge. Oof. Wow. That juke is a that's a really and good juke. Was that game. his first run of the game? I believe that's either one of his first or second runs of the game. And yeah, we're actually gonna of, see he this. popped off on all of them. Oh, he <laughs> did that, absolutely. Yeah. And here's another one of those runs right here. You're gonna see him go into the line of scrimmage, find that crease, and just get to the outside and, and show off his speed. Uh you know, this is for me uh the most impactful transfer of this transfer period. I, I think Trey Benson is really, I don't want to say he's going to be a star for the Seminoles, but as I look at how things are going to play out this season, 
I think to me, he replaces Jay Sean Corbin and Trayshawn Ward stays in the same role that he has been in, which is that support running back role. Um, and in each of the games this season, Perry, if I remember correctly, uh, Corbin got more attempts every single game, uh, maybe outside of one or two, but I, I believe it may have been every single game that Trayshawn Ward got more carries uh, than Corbin. Do you think that, you know, just looking at how this is all played out, we have it as 1A, 1B on the depth chart, but I really do think game to game, situation to situation, drive to drive, Mike Norvell is just going to change this depending on who has the hot hand, uh, who works best against the type of scheme they're going against defensively. Um, it, it doesn't seem like something where they're going to be intentionally giving Trey Benson, you know, 15 carries a game, and then, you know, Trey Sean Ward gets 10, and then another few players get more carries. I, I, I don't think that's how they look at this. I think the way they look at this is they have two different players who can do two different things. You know, Trey Benson is going to be your outside. Uh, he's going to be your counter guy. He's going to be your toss guy, whereas – you know, Troy Sean Ward might be your inside outside zone between the tackles type of runner goal line type of guy. Trey Benson, uh, he just profiles more as a burner. So when you look at those two, do you think it's going to play out similar to how it was last season? No, I think you touched on it. I mean, literally 30 seconds ago. And then also in your beyond the numbers article, I'm pretty sure you spoke on it as well. The fact that they have built this room to be, adaptable to whatever defensive scheme that they are attacking. Trey Benson has a speed, but Trishon Ward is also speedy. He also can catch balls very well. Toa Philly is a nice brute. Like he's a good third down back. Same with DJ Williams. They have power. They have strength. They have speed. I don't think that they will ever think of it as, yeah, we need to get 20 snaps to Benson, 15 snaps. Like they will never sort it out that way because we haven't seen that offense function that way. The really only time is those scripted plays when they're like, all right, here's how our first drive is going to go, and then we're adapting from there. There's never been a set formula for how they are going to approach this running game because they, for all the faults that uh, this offense has encountered over the last two years, the feel for the run game has been there. Absolutely. Like, they have I mean, this a- was the second most uh, efficient run attack in the ACC for most of the year last year, uh, and that wasn't just because of Jordan Travis. No, and Corbin was the belt. Like, he was the most reliable player to the point that when they ran the wildcat, he was, they wanted him to finish out games and it wasn't the wildcat to like surprise a Miami dolphins era. Like it was like, Hey, we need the ball in just on Corbin's hands and he's going to finish this out for us. So Benson stepping into that role immediately. We'll see. Cause it took Corbin a full year to even like, get his confidence back to figure out the scheme. He did do well in his first year under Mike Norvell, but like it's going to take a little bit of adjustment. But as we've mentioned, like the raising of the floor of the offensive line, Jordan Travis taking another step, hopefully the passing game taking another step allows a little bit more for Benson to work with. I'm excited about the one, a one B combination. I think that like, I, w- I want to see some pistol. I want to see some pony. I want to see some like crazy running back, like let them go in, let them do the thing, and then let Jordan Travis throw an 80 yard bomb because they aren't expecting it. Oh, exactly. And that's just how this offense is going to thrive this year. They're going to beat teams down into submission and then catch them with that big explosive play when they're not expecting it. Uh, and, and, and for Trey Benson, to me, the, 
the skill set I feel like he offers that maybe we haven't seen in this Mike Norvell era at Florida State is that speed on the edge, man. When he hits the edge and he has space, uh, like you're just not going to be able to catch him or take or take him down. You're going to have to let him run you over. And I just love those kind of players. Uh, so I, I think, you know, Trey Benson, obviously he really impressed in that spring game. He was a little more lackluster in those practices. And that's why I think this is truly a one, a one B situation, even more so than last year where I really do feel it was Jay Sean Corbin. Then Trey Sean Ward. I, for me, Perry, I think it's going to be a situation where, Early on, Sean Ward gets the benefit of the doubt. You know, it, he's going to get more carries early in the season because he has that comfort level. He knows the scheme. Uh, the, he's going to know exactly what the coaches want from him versus Trey Benson. There's still that little bit of acclimation, even as explosive as he did look at that spring game. So I, I think it's going to be, you know, a transition period. But I think by you know, November, early November, we're going to be talking about Trey Benson as, I don't want to say quite Jayshon Corbin. I think you're right. He's not going to quite fill that role completely. But I think when we're talking about one running back versus the other, Trey Benson will be that guy who's just a notch above Trayshawn Ward. And you know what, Perry, even if he isn't this year, he's going to be here for a few more years. This isn't another one and done transfer guy. This is uh, another transfer they brought in this year who's going to be here for many years right so i think for benson just getting your feet under yourself this year proving you know how healthy you are also i mean that's one thing we haven't even touched on already because in the spring game i mean he showed everyone exactly how healthy he was no brace And, and i do wonder if part of what we saw from spring practice was him coming back from that injury him still adjusting to that scheme um so to me, fall camp is going to be really interesting because they did give Trey Sean not just the benefit of the doubt in spring practice, but he was the, you know, when they would go through first, second teams, it was pretty much always Trey Sean if he was available for those teams. And if it wasn't him, it was Toa Feely, um, who I do want to touch on him real quick. You mentioned him before, third down back. He's going to be in more of that support role. I, I think because Trey Benson is still transitioning this year, um, and quite honestly, I don't, I'm not predicting injury, but I'm just saying this room was very healthy last year. They didn't really sustain men. There were things here and there, but at the top of the room, they never lost Jason Corbin or Trayshawn Ward together for an extended period of time. They were at least able to piece that together. So I think unless, you know, barring an injury, Toa Feely is going to be that third running back. But Perry, that's not a bad role in this Mike Norvell offense. And he can still develop as a player. And you know what? If there is one of those two guys that goes down ahead of him, he'll move up depth chart and he'll absolutely get those opportunities. Yeah, no, they brought enough for the class. Like there's plenty for everybody to eat. Like everybody will get their carries. Even last year with Corbin doing what he did, we saw to a Philly get the occasional carry and in those opportunities he really didn't wow but he took advantage and he took advantage in 2020 he was a really good running back that year he had a little bit of um gosh how did i already forget his name webb right oh yeah that's right i I, was webb yeah i believe yeah okay i feel very bad he's doing good now but like totally he looked good that year he is a capable running back and it just shows what they have built in that running back room because 
you look at it and it's probably the deepest outside of maybe defensive backs on the team where like you're like, oh, we could plug and play like pretty much anybody here and it wouldn't be bad. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even the fourth guy on the depth chart, DJ Williams, I think he's a really impressive player. Even the fifth guy, CJ, like, <laughs> the walk on. Right? Yeah. yeah, he's a, I mean, he, to me, he was one of the biggest standouts from the spring, and he didn't even really get that many opportunities. It was more just whenever you saw CJ Campbell at practice, he was making the most of it. And this is a guy that if you give him any little bit of opportunity, he's going to make the most out of it. Um, So I, I I mean, I don't even think, you know, I, I think you were underselling it a little bit. To me, this is by far the deepest room that Florida State has. I don't even question that, honestly. Uh, they have five potential starters, in my opinion. And then you have a freshman, Rodney Hill, who's going to be able to sit behind these guys, you know, learn the offense, uh, is going to be able to get acclimated and isn't going to have that pressure on him right away to perform. You know, he can just sit back and learn. So I, I think this is a really well-rounded room. Uh, this is a room that has a lot of versatility. And just like the offensive line, they have so many guys they can depend on that they are comfortable with. Um, so, I, I, you know, and we touched on earlier, you touched on my article that I wrote about, you know, this running back uh, room, this this running game overall, where it's headed. They had so much bad luck along the offensive line. The fact that they were able to produce the way they were at the running back position, man, uh, I, I would be curious to see what Jayshon Corbin would look like behind an average offensive line. I mean, he was behind the worst offensive line in the ACC last year. There's just no way around it. And if and if they're just able to raise that level this year, and we'll certainly get to the offensive line room uh, in the next couple positions, but if they're just able to take that room from the worst to slightly below average or average, just imagine what this running game is going to be like where last year, I mean, it was such a weak point for this team. So uh, I, I, even though this run game was so efficient last year, I still think they have tons of room for growth. And in my opinion, because they are going to be running more than almost anyone else in the ACC, if not the top rushing team, uh, they should have the most efficient running offense in the conference. And I, I just based on last year, uh, that should be the minimum to me, having the best rushing offense. And I know that sounds like a lot, but you know, given what they do, how they how they have the scheme in place, what kind of threat Jordan Travis is, uh, they should absolutely be able to dominate uh, in the run. No, there's no question. And if not most efficient, then there should be at least like a top three productive. Like they have showcased their ability to get the most out of this run game. But this staff has now given itself the pieces to take that next level, and it needs to prove that it can coach and extract that talent out. Absolutely. And, you know, talking about more players that they can extract the talent out of, looking into this transfer portal, you don't talk about Trey Benson. Let's talk about the guy everyone's talking about this offseason. That's Micah Pittman. Micah Pittman uh, really – it's going to be wide receiver one for Florida State. I don't know any other way to say it. He, to me, I, I think he's not your ideal wide receiver one, but given where this room is at, given the Winston Wright injury, that we just don't know where he's going to be at this season. The Seminole seems optimistic with him, but at the same time, just talking to some people, trying to get some information, 
there just is no clear timeline on exactly where Winston Wright is going to be at now or even at the start of the season. Um, So for now, he's just a player we're going to have to set aside. And and I'm addressing it, but uh, we just can't talk about him when we talk about this depth chart. But, you know, looking at these two outside receivers that we're talking about, Malik McClain, Micah Pittman. Micah Pittman is obviously, you know, I don't want to call him a gadget player, but he is – more of a gadgety role, right, than your traditional Malik McClain. And with Mike Norvell having, you know, so many unbalanced sets, having three receiver sets, having four receivers on one side of the field, doing all these different things. Um, Micah, although you might view him as a slot sort of guy, in this Mike Norvell offense, he's not a slot guy, in my opinion, even though he will get snaps there. That's just not the role they want for him. He's going to be that secondary receiver in the sense that he's not an X wide receiver, right? But he plays that Y or Z role. Um, however you want to define that in this Mike Norvell offense, that secondary receiver role. And I do want to bring up one of the highlights that we saw from Micah Pittman in this spring game. Uh, right here. This is an awesome play by Micah. And when I talk about him being a gadget player, Perry, this is exactly the type of play I'm talking about. You're going to see him ac- come across the screen, take a carry directly from Jordan Travis and bully his way into the end zone. And look, obviously, you know, spring game atmosphere, I'm not saying it's the end all be all, but, you know, to see how Mike Norvell wants to implement him in that offense, he wants to use him creatively. He wants to get him moving in motion. He wants to do all these different things with him. Um, I'm really excited about that. And and I think for an offense that struggles so much with beating your one-on-one matchups, really challenging defensive backs, uh, having a guy like Micah Pittman as your number one, look, it's not ideal in my opinion. I think ideally he's your number two receiver. But given where they were last year, having Micah Pittman is going to absolutely raise the floor of this wide receiver room. I, I guess for you, you know, touch on Micah a little bit, but also a guy like Malik McClain coming into, you know, this next year for him, trying to establish himself as a true wide receiver, one type of guy. Um, how do you think these two guys are going to be you know, playing off each other? How do you think this room is going to play out? So Micah isn't like the flashiest guy. Like you're not going to watch him catch a ball and he's going to Tyreek Hill it. Like it's not, he's not going to Debo it, but he's almost like Rashad green in the way where like he is your consistent guy. He is going to be there. He and Jordan Travis have already built up a great like chemistry and like off field on field. Like they have a great rapport going. And we saw that a little bit in the spring game. We didn't really see too much impressive passing there, but throughout the spring practice season, we saw a great like connection between the two and Pittman's, energy like his enthusiasm like his approach to the game he gets it obviously from his brother his dad michael Pittman, and now good job tommy because i was literally gonna say he is such a little tiny boy full of mass like doug muscle hamster and i don't remember who called in the post spring press conference they called him like a big ball of mass that just wants to i think it was mike norville actually who i think it was that That was after the spring game yeah and when you have a receiver that welcomes contact that's a different breed running backs okay you guys like that's a thing but receivers (laughs) 
who are like, I'm going to run you over, especially at that stature. And listen, I'm five foot four. I have no position calling anybody tiny. But for him to be that small and be like, I'm going to take it to you is good. For him to be a gadget player at that stature is nice. Like, And, and I will say, Perry, you know, I'm 5'11", let's call it generously. Uh, I know you've seen me in person. He is he's shorter he's smaller than i am like like just giving giving a little he does not lord over people but he makes himself (laughs) a known presence and that's why he established him as a leader already within that offensive room it's why he is a consistent presence on the special teams portion as well where he will actually catch the ball and that's nice to see so yeah he isn't like uh i don't even know if fsu has had a true wide receiver one in a while but he's not I mean, like kelvin yeah. benjamin maybe but last... even he like uh like terry that one year but regardless he's not like your peter Warwick. like he's not gonna like take over a game but he will absolutely raise the floor of that room he will absolutely yeah. be the consistent guy you need if you need a quick five yard out he will be there and so just getting that kind of player for jordan is just gonna make things so much easier for him now Malik we saw so much potential from this kid in 2021 we saw the flashes of what he can do because he is a big boy on the opposite end like he is a big imposing person he's huge he's huge huge. and when he puts it together he makes great plays we saw I think Notre Dame he had a great play Last year's spring game, I also remember like he and Josh Burrell went back and forth and pressing because I think they were like one of the only like four receivers available. <laughs> but McLean knows where he is supposed to be at this year. I think he is aware of what he needs to do to take that step forward. I think that Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins know that they need to scheme up plays for him. And just like a matter of like pretty much like this entire team, we know what needs to get done. We know what is capable from these players. But now will Malik McLean be able to take like, I like how Kevin Benjamin, like he really was not a presence in his first couple of years. And then in 2013, he broke out and finally like learned how to take advantage of like that huge body. So Malik McLean, second year in, has two springs underneath his belt has a great rapport within the system, knows what's going on. Let's see if he can take that next step. Yeah, and I think part of him taking that next step is kind of something you touched on a little bit, which is that consistency from him. If 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 he can just put together consistent stretches, because there were points in last season where a few games here, a few games there, but then are also a few games where you're like, wait, is Malik McLean on this Florida State Seminoles team? I don't want to say he disappeared, but – there are just some parts of this season where you're really questioning, you know, uh, where's that presence that we've been hearing so much about that everyone's talking about all these flashes we've seen. It, it truly was those little flashes. So I think part of that development for him moving forward is being a consistent player, is game in, game out, being that threat that can create uh, opportunities for other players as well because playing that kind of role that Malik's going to be playing – He's going to need to threaten defensive backs. He's going to need to scare defensive coordinators into bringing more coverage over to him so that it can open up the rest of the offense and it can really help the other guys out because, you know, being in that X receiver role, it's just 
so important for you know the the way the offense is structured the way they want to go about what all they do so I, I think for Malik this is going to be a big year but I don't know if he's going to quite take that jump yet you know I, I think we're going to see more flashes we're going to see more consistency but I think next year is the year that we really are impressed by Malik McLean. Um, and that's not to knock him at all. I just think that's where he is in his development right now. He still has some more room for growth. I, I think if you asked him himself, he'd probably say something similar, like I can improve here and get better here. So uh, it's going to be very intriguing. And another just huge player they have is Johnny Wilson. I mean, uh, Johnny Wilson to me is one of the most interesting players. And he was just, very inconsistent, honestly, this spring. Uh, he would have stretches where he wouldn't have any drops, and then he would have practices where he would have a catch, a drop, a catch, a drop, a catch, a drop, and it was a little concerning by, you know, just not from me, but by other members of the FSU media. I made sure I wasn't the only one who's seen that. You know, I think a lot of people saw that inconsistency from him. So, I think we're going to see with Johnny this year, similar to what we saw from Malik last year, in my opinion. We're going to see those flashes. I don't think he's going to be that consistent playmaker game in, game out. But we're going to see moments, you know, red zone opportunities for Johnny Wilson. You know, that that to me is where he's going to make his money this year. Um, and, and also, you want to talk about, you know, the whole offense. Johnny Wilson He's going to be a damn good run blocker right away. And he's going to be an important run blocker because I think, you know, if you're going to watch this team, you know, play and play out, I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess now that when you see Johnny Wilson in the game, they're going to be running the ball the majority of the time. And not that they don't run the ball the majority of the time already, but Johnny Wilson specifically, he is, you know, that, that Robert Woods type of blocker, but he's huge, man. You know, playing that kind of F, receiver role where you can go and get your hands dirty move in space you saw on that Trey Benson play the the guy who's keeping the safety on the outside who was able to establish the edge was Johnny Wilson so uh this is a, a guy who he's not he's not quite a tight end right he is a receiver uh, I I know people want to try and pencil him in yeah, that speaking of end. Kelvin Benjamin yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but for Johnny man uh He's just going to need some more time, some more development and more opportunities. Also, you know, the more I think we see him in this season, the better and better I think he will get. But I don't want Florida State fans to expect him coming out of the gate, you know, showing, you know, game in, game out how awesome he is. I think he'll have his flashes, but the longer the season goes, you know, the more injuries there are along this team, I think the more opportunities he's going to be getting. Uh, So Johnny Wilson, to me, uh, he's going to be important or this team. Um, but also I don't know if the the coaches themselves would tell you they have the highest production expectations. I think they want to get him on the field. They want to get him working in the offense and just work on his consistency. That, that, that is the thing for me. And that's not just the drops thing. You know, the drops is a part of it, but you know, route running footwork, j- just all the little things that you need to work on as a receiver, uh, he's still very much a work in project in that sense. And I think he has a lot of room for growth growth. And I think he's going to absolutely show off his potential eventually. I just don't know when that's going to be, or if that's going to come this season. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how things go with Johnny Wilson, but yeah, quite, quite an interesting 
a player. I, I think probably the most interesting man on the Seminoles offense. <laughs> well, I didn't get any interview time with him. Why is he so interesting? Oh, no, he did interview time, man. What are you talking oh, about? I would, no, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. Oh, not you weren't yet. there. No, not no, no. I was, I was I there. I, I got to talk to Johnny. Yeah. yeah. I got to talk to Johnny. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know if you were slacking or not. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Trust me. But uh, no, Johnny, uh, I, he's just very interesting in terms of, man, what is this role going to look like on this team? Uh, I have a wide range of outcomes I think are possible for him. Uh, and then just, you know, one more player I want to touch on, Perry, is Ontario Wilson. I think a lot of people might expect him to be higher on this depth chart. I certainly know that's some of the feedback we kind of got back. Um, what do you expect from him? Uh, I, I, I mean, just where he's at in his career – I, I think he just needs to reestablish himself at this point. And I don't want to say, you know, like prove me wrong because that's not, that, I'm not saying like, oh, he's so bad. Like he's a backup, like all that. I, I just think there are two receivers that are better than him in this room right now. I think that's a good one. Like prove me wrong is not it. It's more like impress me because he has been along with Keyshawn, probably the most consistent receiver FSU has had in the last couple of seasons which we've seen what that has led to. He is definitely good. He definitely knows how to be an essential part of his offense. He's made some pretty big plays, catching some balls, like tiptoeing, but he has never been able to take that full next step into elite receiver. And now are Micah Pittman and Malik McLean elite yet? We don't know. We don't know who, like, that's it. Like, you touched on it. He is very talented. He could very easily be wide receiver one. They could come out game one, week zero, and then yeah. he'll, yeah, he'll be there because he is that talented. But just from the body of work that he's put together, you want to see more. Like, again, it's not proving me wrong. It's you've done so well. Do more. Yeah, raise it to another level, I think, yeah. is what we're saying. It not only... Like, I keep saying consistency over and over, but that really is, you know, what it is for these guys game to game. You're going to have to put together a consistent stretch, you know, five, six games, uh, even two, three games where we're just like, wow, just impress me. Like you said, it's not so much as prove me wrong. It's it's I know what kind of player you are. Go out there and prove it, you know. Uh, so I think you know that's where we're at with Ontario Wilson. Um it's going to be interesting to see who gets that opportunity early on. You mentioned week zero. Man, what are those first few games going to be look, looking like? I think it's going to be very different game to game, honestly. I, I don't think we're going to get a great deal uh, for one way or the other. Oh, this is their wide receiver one. If I had to guess right now, I think it's going to be Micah Pittman out of pure target share. And, you know, we talk about cons- – I've been talking a ton about consistency. I think – uh, Micah is going to be able to put together two, three game stretches, you know, even multiple two, three game stretches where, you know, whether it's like say 200 yards combined, 150 yards combined over that stretch. I think he's going to have those moments this season. So I think Micah certainly is poised for that kind of play, but I also don't think he's going to be doing that the entire season. Right. I, I don't expect him game in game out to be that type of guy. That's just not what they're going to be asking of him. Um, and also with his special team skills um, and how bad Florida State special teams was last year, he'll be relying on him a lot. And he's going to be one of the most important players on two phases of the field. So 
I don't know if they're going to deep, you know, dip deep into that Michael Pittman bag early on. I think it's going to be more progressive over the course of the season. We're going to see those stretches, like I said, but I do think he will be wide receiver one when things are all said and done. And I mean, Mike Norman, like you said, 10 minutes ago, there are going to be three, four receivers on the field at some point. Like QB or wide receiver one, wide receiver two is kind of just a formality. Like they, they do not take these depth charts seriously. They're to placate the media and like, let us get our clicks on the article. Like, <laughs> Exactly. And Hey, I'm thankful for it. Yeah, thank uh, you. But uh, yeah, no, you're, you're right. They just don't look at it that way. They're going to deploy three, four receivers on any given play. Um, and that slot role is also so important. That's why, you know, Micah Pittman, he's not that true slot guy, even though he is a slot receiver, because he's going to be next to uh, Ja'Kai Douglas, a Keyshawn Hilton. That's just not how Mike Norvell is going to want to deploy him. Um, and that's just not what we saw over spring in terms of how he was using him, where he was on the field. He is an outside receiver for the Seminoles this year. But I do want to transition to the next set of pass catchers, that slot wide receiver group that tight end room. And specifically, I want to start with one guy who, you know what? Uh, he's my guy. I, I am the uh, founder, owner, CEO of the Ja'Kai Douglas fan club. I'm not even going to lie about it. And here's just one of the plays that when you talk about Ja'Kai Douglas, you talk about what he does, you're going to see it right here. He's going to be at the top of your screen, right where my mouse is. Uh, you know, these are the type of you know, field stretching plays. And of course, I don't think he completes this, but he gets <laughs> pass interference there. Uh, he's able to draw pass interference, but working out of the slot, you know, extending the field, being explosive, going downfield, you know, uh, that's just not the type of receiver that the Seminoles have anywhere else. To me, Ja'Kai Douglas is your explosive deep threat downfield receiver and we saw it multiple times we saw it against Notre Dame we saw it against Miami he had you know 50 plus yard plays in both those games uh and really on that you know that Miami game uh, that that drive we saw Jordan Travis go on one of the biggest plays of that drive was Ja'Kai Douglas and him having that huge play so I expect a lot more from Ja'Kai Douglas this season and I think he is no doubt your slot wide receiver one. He is the guy that is going to be on the field more than Keyshawn Helton. Honestly, I, I I don't even, you know, I I think it is a very clear one and two, and I think that's how the team feels about it too. And, and you saw just how Jordan is going to be using him this year. He's going to be getting a lot of defensive pass interferences with Ja'Kai Douglas. He's going to be getting, you know, averaging 18 yards per catch, averaging 15, 16 yards average depth of target. That's just the type of player Ja'Kai Douglas is. He's five foot nine. He's a little, you know, you call Micah Pittman a muscle hamster. Uh, Ja'Kai Douglas is a, is a muscle hamster as well. You know, very stout, kind of just compressed guy. It, it, for for him next year, obviously, they, they go from him playing running back to wide receiver to running back, back to wide receiver. He's now kind of able to settle in that slot receiver role. Um, and I really do think he's going to be the most dangerous receiver that the Seminoles have this season. I think you're looking at, you know, you want a guy to produce explosive plays. This is your guy. And I think he's going to prove it a lot this year. I'm very high on Ja'Kai Douglas. And I have high expectations for how they're going to be using him. I don't know if you have poisoned, like, my bias. But I agree. Like, if we're talking... Like, if we say wide receiver one is not a position, 
but more like your prominent, like Ja'Kai Douglas is your wide receiver one. He is like your number one athlete on this offense, maybe more so than Jordan Travis, just because of what he offers. Like he can be a running back. He can be a slot guy. He can be your gadget guy. He can be a deep threat. He can be a screen pass. Like he, if given the opportunities, because that's honestly been the bulk of it because when he has been given the chance, he has showcased his talent. And I'm, Listen, I don't know the coaching staff's thinking. They could have been bringing him along slowly. Maybe in practice during fall, he wasn't doing that well. Maybe they're just falling. But when he is given the chance, he has succeeded. So if we're following that logic, if this is the year that they're finally putting the emphasis on his playmaking and letting him get the opportunities, he's going to be like the offensive name. By the time the season ends, like Ja'Kai Douglas is going to be like the can makers, Dalvin Cook. Like you talk about him and like everybody's like, ah, like. That is what talent he has, and that's what should happen this season if they are putting him in the right positions. Because like he's your per- he's your Percy Harvin, he's your Debo, you name him. Like he is capable of doing it all, and he hasn't shied away from the challenge. He hasn't shown that there's a reason he shouldn't be the person to do that. It literally just been a matter of him building up that chance and waiting for the opportunity to take full control of that role. And I think given the talent that's around him, like I think maybe it's good that Michael Pittman isn't like your flashy, like typical, like stud Antonio Brown receiver. Like he is just your guy. He's going to be consistent. Malik McClain is that perfect compliment because he's a big, huge body. Same with Johnny Wilson. But then Jakai, like he's just there. He's always there. He's ready to go. And like you said, if you need that player to be explosive, it's got to be him. If, if you've been, if you've been looking to build a, Offense built for playmakers, you've got your playmaker. Oh, absolutely, and you nailed it. It's just a matter of opportunity for Ja'Kai Douglas. When he gets his opportunity, he's absolutely made the most of it. Um, uh, and, and I don't want to say it's a true one-to-one comparison because I think they're two different players. But, you know, talking about getting that opportunity, look at a Cordell Patterson who plays for the Falcons, right? A gadget guy his entire career plays on, like, five different teams before he even arrives in Atlanta. And then they find the perfect role for him. Ja'Kai Douglas is going to be fitting that role, right? But finding that perfect balance of role for him where he's able to be that explosive slot receiver and then you can use him in other interesting uh, dynamic ways that can, you can be very creative with Ja'Kai Douglas. To me, you know, you, you nailed it. He can affect all areas of the field. He can be that running back gadget guy. He can go deep downfield, be explosive. He's a playmaker. When you get the ball in his hands, he is good. In those mesh concepts over in the middle that we're going to see so often at Florida State, um, the slot receiver is so important for Mike Norvell. They play so many uh, snaps in this offense. So have that kind of playmaker and Ja'Kai Douglas have that kind of potential. I think it's only a matter of giving him that opportunity. So I hope it plays out for Ja'Kai. I'm certainly rooting for him. Like, I'm not even going to lie. I am <laughs> absolutely rooting for Ja'Kai. Uh, seeing him in person – I know what kind of talent he is. You, I mean, you mentioned it yourself, but just seeing him practice in, practice out, he is that playmaker, and I think he has that ability. It's just a matter of Jordan Travis finding him, Mike Norvell giving him those opportunities moving forward, and I think he will get those. And, you know, Keyshawn Helton, on the other hand, to me, he profiles more as your special teamer this year. Uh, I, I think he's not the most prolific special teamer. He's not the most 
you know, uh, explosive guy from punts or kickoffs or anything, but he's their most dependable, I, I would say, outside of Micah Pittman, right? Micah Pittman's going to be super dependable. They're going to be using him a lot this year, but Keyshawn Helton is someone they can absolutely trust, in my opinion. And, and I think we'll certainly get that opportunity to be that slot receiver sometimes, but ultimately, I think his more important role this year is going to be as a special teamer, uh, yeah. which I, I Sorry, Keyshawn. I'm sorry if you're seeing this. I like you a lot, man. I think you're a really good guy. But I just think that's how things are going to play out for this slot group this year. No, I completely agree. Like having a bunch of guys whose worst, the worst you can say is they're consistent, consistently average, like that is good. (laughs) That is a good thing. Like if Keyshawn Helton is your second at the slot, you're in a good position because he's a good player. So like we've been saying this whole time, they've got the pieces, they have the talent. Can they put it together? Yeah, that's the real question. Uh, One position group where they might not have the talent is this tight end group. This is by far the most underwhelming group. I I would say, I don't even think there's any questions about it. Uh, I mean, we mentioned Johnny Wilson earlier as the guy who could potentially fit into more of that role. I just don't think the Seminoles will use the tight ends that more that much this year. In fact, I think they're going to be using it less than they did last year um, because they have more receivers who can play in more of those roles. So for Cam McDonald, I think it's going to be similar to what it was last season. I don't see much difference. He is that same player he was that I saw in 2021. And that's not a knock on him. He's very consistent. I think that's similar to Keyshawn, right? He's been there for a very long time. They know exactly what they're getting out of him. Um, Wyatt Rector, though, I will say, I, I think he pretty firmly established himself as tight end, too. You have a lot of people asking, you know, who is that back tight end? Who's that guy after Cam McDonald? You know, some, between the media members, that's kind of a discussion we had, especially towards the end of camp. Kind of, who is that guy? I think we all realize Wyatt Rector isn't a true tight end, right? I, I don't know if he profiles as a true tight end, but that's the role he's going to be playing for the Seminoles this season. And when it's not going to be Cam McDonald, it's going to be Wyatt Rector. Um, so, like I said, this is a pretty underwhelming group. Don't have high expectations. Cam McDonald, he is what he is. You know, he, he's pretty much the same player he was last year in terms of impact he's going to make in terms of target share or that sort of thing. Uh, but Wyatt Rector, I think, is pretty interesting as that next man up. And I think he's certainly capable. Yeah, and just in terms of energy presence, like he has been around since 2017, 18. I remember he came in, yeah, under Willie. And for him to still be putting in the work after making the position change, after still being here, like, that just showcases the grind that he has done. And he has firmly established himself in that rotation because of the effort that he's put in. And he's, like, endeared himself to the staff. Because, like, I didn't they give him a pass in 2020? Didn't he get, like, a crazy, like, 40-yard? Yeah. So... Wyatt Rector has earned his place on this team. Like, there's no question there. But the what concerns me about the tight end room is we haven't seen that step up from Jackson West because Preston Daniel was a benefit. He was a nice surprise. Like, he was a walk-on that Mike Norvell discovered at Memphis. He was brought on. He did well in 2020 when there's no other people to rotate in behind Cam. Jackson West was brought in to be a player. Like they specifically scouted him and made the effort of offering him and targeting him and bringing him in when he wasn't really 
a well-known or targeted prospect because they had a lot of faith in what he could do. And he hasn't done much. Like, he hasn't been bad. He just hasn't done much to showcase why he should be out on the field. And again, it's his sophomore year. It's, but it's, he, he just doesn't stand out. Yeah, it's as he doesn't. Yeah, progress isn't linear. Like he could pop off it, but like again, like he hasn't earned the chance to showcase why he should be on the field. No, he hasn't. Um, and that's kind of like I don't have anything more else to say on the tight end room. Yeah. This is kind of a meh group, right? And like I said at the beginning, I just think this is a group that use less and less this year, not more and more, especially with all the consistent guys we've been talking about at receiver, the big guys they have too, who they're not going to be, you know, Johnny Wilson's not a tight end, right? But you can play him in that sort of blocking that F receiver role where you can be an H back sort of hybrid player. That to me is how you get more creative with the tight end room. It's not dipping deep into your Preston Daniels, Jackson West, or your Marquise and Douglas. I I just think these players are going to see less and less of the field this year in general at the position. Um, but I, I do, I do just want to move on to the last group we're going to be talking about today. Uh, that's the offensive line. Our guy, AB, uh, Adam Brown, coach AB hoping, you know, we're going to try and make you proud. I don't think we can do what Adam does justice necessarily. That's not what we're trying to do, but uh, shout out to Adam. He, he did help me and Tommy Meyer when we were put, putting together this depth chart overall. And he specifically helped us out with the offensive line. You know, and we talked about raising the floor of this offensive line at the beginning of this video. I'm just talking about, you know, you bring in a guy like Dimitri Emmanuel. He absolutely raises the floor of this room. You know, I, I've spoken about it so many times already in, in this stream. The amount of guys that they had injured, all the players getting the flu. I, I just even those first six games that they had, uh, it was nothing short of disastrous in terms of the injury luck in the play overall. So, I don't want to say this is let's let's not call it a fresh start for this year, but the way I see it, soft reboot, soft reboot, reboot. Exactly, mm-hmm. that is exactly what I was looking for. They have guys that have already been there: Dylan Gibbons, Robert Scott, uh, Darius Washington, uh, Marie Smith, guys who have experience with Alex Atkins, who have been here for a little while. And then you also bring in two now three potential starters: Bless Harris, Dimitri Emmanuel, Caden Lyles. Um, when you're looking at this room, you know, and considering this is a spring depth chart, this is not our final fall depth chart. Um, what do you make of where this offensive line is? And do you think this group can rise above and be that average or, you know, slightly below average group that I was talking about earlier? I'm going to not even say slightly below average, slightly above average. Okay. Yeah. I think what we saw from the actual starting five last year was enough to like impress me, to make me confident in what this group could be because we saw them prioritize the health of their veterans in spring to make sure everybody's healthy going into fall. We saw them infuse some talent through the transfer portal. Not as much as we would have liked, but <laughs> still, like still adding Emmanuel, great ad. Adding Bless, great ad. Adding Lyles, great ad. That floor has been raised that like we said earlier that too deep is an actual too deep they won't be in the position they were last year i think that is the most important thing 
No, and worse, like you have players that can slide over if that needs to be. Like if you have to put in Lyles as that, like you can move Mo over. So like there are plenty of combinations available that you don't have to like absolutely pitfall, lose your entire offensive game plan as soon as you lose like one to two linemen. You lose three. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say they have seven starting offensive linemen, in my opinion, the five starters in place, the new transfer and Caden Lyles. And you know what? I'm not even including your backup swing tackles, Rod Orr and Lloyd Willis, who, you know, I don't think you want those guys to come in and play, but they're certainly capable of it. Let's say you do lose three of those guys. You know, these are the type of players you're talking about filling in those next roles. Uh, To me, the one position battle I think could easily flip. It's probably sticking out to everyone who's watching. This could be Caden Lyles. I don't think he's quite gotten there yet. And we've talked about it kind of at length with Caden. Uh, It's a bit of an adjustment for him. It's more of an adjustment than even Dylan Gibbons had to deal with last year. Not only is he learning um, a new language, but he's learning an entirely different scheme that he just doesn't have experience with. Whereas a guy like Dylan coming in, Dylan was playing in a very similar scheme. Just the verbiage had changed. So it's a much easier transition. So I think, you know, there is just going to be a learning curve with Caden. I just don't think he's quite there yet. And honestly, out of the snaps that we did see him in in the spring game, I don't know where his health is at either. So I just want to make sure I add that. I'm not. I'm not saying we know anything mm-hmm. or anything, but it, it, like we don't. But I. I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't a hundred percent, a hundred percent healthy. Also, though, in that spring game, you saw in snaps and our our our, our guys over at the triple option and X's and O's broke it down. Uh, he was just lackluster. I he he did not impress. He did not win many of his one-on-one matchups on a consistent basis. The players he was beating uh, were often the backups in a lot of situations. So I'm a little worried about Caden Lyles, but in the same sense, I think you know you grade him on a curve because that adjustment that he's dealing with, um, it, it just can't be overstated enough. It is really a hard transition that he's going through at Florida State. Yeah, and if your expectations for him are starter, then that's where you're like, all right, I'm a little concerned. I need to see more. But if you're like, hey, we got a depth piece now in this room, then he's doing like he's where he needs to be for right now. Exactly. Not saying that's good. It needs to be it needs to be elevated, but it's not dangerous situation. Oh my gosh, the bus, why did they take this guy? It's all right, he's still figuring it out. Maybe he needs to get a little bit healthy, maybe he needs to figure out that adjustment. Let's see what happens after summer workouts and when we hit into fall camp. And I think one of the most encouraging things for me about this room overall, you talk about how too deep they are, right? They just brought in a new crop of freshman offensive linemen. They're going to have, I mean, what is it, six guys by the end of the summer who are going to come <laughs> in? Um, and, you know, one of the players we're not even talking about, I think probably has the best chance as a freshman to start. Um, and look, this room is going to be in a lot better place than they were last year. They just won't have to rely on those freshman player this year. And I think to me, that was probably the goal of this transfer period for Mike Norvell for Alex Atkins. They did not want to have to put those guys in a position that they were uncomfortable with them being in. Right. Uh, I think, you know, you, the one young guy I'm a little interested in who I think could get playtime is Bryson Estes. I think he has a real opportunity. He is to me, I think Emmanuel replaces Dylan Gibbons 
if Dylan Gibbons goes down. He is a natural left guard. He has played a lot of snaps there. He has tons of experience. But I also think, or no, I'm not even thinking. What I saw in spring practice when I was watching the spring game, if Dylan Gibbons was not playing, you can go back and watch. Bryson Estes was the left guard for the Florida State Seminoles. He was starting often, and especially at those practices, especially in that spring game. So um, I think they have a certain level of comfort with him. And, and the main thing you mentioned, though, Perry, you know, we're going – I was going a little position by position, but every single one of these players has versatility, man. They can all play different positions. They can all slide over. If they have one injury – to one spot, it is not the end of the world. If they have two injuries, it is not the end of the world like it was last year. Um, three, like you said, eh, maybe things get a little more interesting. But but even, you know, just with the expected level of injuries that happen anyways during the season, especially like we saw with this group in the past, man, um, they should be much, much improved because of the depth. And I think it's really going to show for them this year. Uh, if anything, they might – risk losing some of these guys down the line because other guys are going to get preference, you know? Um, but uh, to me, bless Harris, one of the biggest transfers, if not the biggest transfer, I think he's going to be huge right away. He's just so impressive in space. He lo- he looks like a mauler. Like, like he, he looks like a bowling ball. Like sometimes, man, it's really, really cool the stuff that they were doing with him. Probably need to clean it up a little bit in pass protection, but I think just, you know, overall this group raising the floor of this group, man, this, this team is going to be so much improved because they won't be relying on players that they don't want to rely on, like we saw last year. And like you said, they aren't going to be young, which no, not a knock to youth. I'm an old person now. I'm 28, so I, I hate the youth. But having kids who have been there, who know what's going on, who have dealt with adversity, like more so than dealing with success, they know what does not work. And they know how to function. And that's, I think, the most exciting part. I mean, if we go with this starting lineup that you have right there, Bliss Harris is the only player who is not a returning FSU player. Yeah, Like, they don't have to worry about any any freshman being in there. There's one and they only lost who's one starter last year. Yeah. I mean, only lose one starter, Devontae Love-Taylor, and – Quite honestly, he was hurt like pretty often. Like, so there was a lot of rotation going on already. So this is the most stable. The offensive line has been 26, a while, a while, a while. But you don't have like an absolute, like if one player goes down, you have somebody going in who is going to absolutely wreck your offense. That's not the case anymore. Jordan Travis should be comfortable with the two, like whoever is rotating in that too deep, especially given the receivers that have been brought in, especially given the elevation talent from Ja'Kai Douglas, the assumed elevation from Malik McLean. Like overall, like we've said, this is our thesis. I think of this, the the pieces are there. The talent is there for white Mike Norvell and his staff want to do. Are they going to do it? Yeah. yeah. That's the question that we're going to be asking ourselves this year, man. And I think that's a great way to end our show. Uh, everyone, thank you for joining us today. If you did, if you haven't already, make sure you like, subscribe, 
uh, to the channel. Uh, follow me over on Twitter at by Ben Meyerson. If, if you're on Twitter on Tomahawk Nation's Twitter, jump over to YouTube. Click that YouTube link. Make sure you come over to my channel. It's Ben Meyerson Football, um, and you'll be able to find lots of more uh, Florida State football coverage there. Uh, I'll be back again next week. Thursday is the plan for right now. But like I said, you know, just give me that follow over on Twitter. I'll keep everyone updated. I'll let you know when we're going live next. And you can look out for Florida State's defensive depth chart because we've been talking all offense for, you know, this video. But we are also having our defensive depth chart come out uh, probably early next week is what we're looking for right now. So everyone keep out on the lookout or keep on the lookout for that. Um, but Perry, man, thank you so much. This is a great stream. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing this and uh, I hope everyone enjoyed watching it. Yeah. And you're not going to get fired because you put me on. So thank you. Uh, yeah. You, you always got to kiss up to the boss, right? Uh, so I, 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 I think I'm doing a good job of that, but thank, thank you everyone for sticking around. If you did again, you know, like subscribe to the channel, go follow me over on Twitter. I'll keep you guys updated on everything uh, with the latest for safe football. Um, and you know, we'll make it through this dead period. We're going to have some interesting stuff coming up in this recruiting cycle in June. Uh, we'll have a lot of people at Florida state's mega camp, uh, including myself. So, uh, you can look forward to that. Uh, but for everyone to watch, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed it and see you next time.